Holy Spirit, come now and speak through me. I let the words of the Bible just be illuminated and stir people up. I want to pray that as we've sung, Christ is enough for me. I will follow Jesus. I want to pray that this church will be characterized by followers who actually follow Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, come and do that work now. I pray for just incredible, intimate, tangible, real encounters with you uh, in lots of different ways, but in ways that are meaningful for each person uh, in this room. I ask for this. I need this to happen now. We need encounters with you. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 This morning, I want to remind all of us of things we already know, but in truth, they go hazy through the busyness and the pressures of life. So I know you know this, but I'm guessing what I'm going to tell you is at best hazy, and for some of us, it's not even shaping the way we live anymore. It used to shape us, but not anymore. But that's why this morning, I'm bringing the message prompted by the Holy Spirit. I want to start by reminding us to think about what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. Follow me. Now on Facebook, to follow someone, you first request to become friends. I've got teenage kids, I've found this stuff out. Once they agree, you follow them, and updates on their life automatically arrive on your phone, or if you're old school, your laptop. And basically, you're supposed to have some kind of relationship with them. That's the idea. You request to be friends, they accept, and then you get updates on their lives. Now, I'm told Twitter is easier because you only need to click, and then you're following them. You don't need to know them. You don't need a relationship with them. You can click and follow them. They don't need to agree. And then you can sit down, drinking your flat white, in this trendy Bermondsey cafe, your world is changing, and you can just follow someone with no cost to you than the time it takes to read 140 characters. It's even better than Facebook, because you don't get all that junk coming through. It's just 140 characters. And the great thing is, if you get bored of them, or you disagree with them, you can stop following people on Facebook or Twitter, you simply click something, unfollow them, and they don't even know. You can unfriend them, and they don't know. How cool is that? But that is not what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. I just want to be clear, because some when you talk about following, people automatically think, it's Facebook, click, you feed me, uh, there might be a relationship there, or maybe I'm just observing, and when I'm bored, when I want other stimulation, I'll sign up to other people, I'll still follow you, unless, you know, it's just too much or you're boring, and I'll unfollow you. Jesus is not talking about that. We're going to look at this morning numbers of teachings of Jesus, we're going to skip through, but on the layer foundations, just we think clearly, when Jesus said, follow me, most of us have heard that already. But actually, when he said, follow me, we start following him like we mean it. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22, is going to come up on the screen behind me here. I'm reading from the uh, New Living Translation. I just really like it. It brings the teachings of Jesus alive to me in fresh ways. Jesus said this. One day, as Jesus didn't say this, this was Matthew recording it. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Jesus sees people in everyday life. 
They're just going about their everyday life. He sees people. He saw Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers. Do I need to go on? Great. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. That's remarkable, isn't it? Jesus said, follow me. Come, follow me. And at once, they left their nets and followed him. Jesus called James and John, and immediately they left their boat. That was their livelihood. I, I don't know whether they kind of parked it up, or, but certainly they left their boat and their father to follow this teacher. Jesus told Matthew, the tax collector, he was sitting in his booth, uh, he would have been regarded as a rebel, as someone not to associate with. So Matthew is sitting there, also known as Levi. He's sitting in his booth. And Jesus says, follow me. And what did he do? He got up and followed him. Now many of us are aware of this. We know that Andrew and Peter and James and John and Matthew and many others, when we read the life of Jesus, all heard something compelling and they heard something irresistible in Jesus' invitation. And it is an invitation. He says, follow me. And these men, they, they left everything it seems. They were fishermen, they left their boats, their father. Matthew walked away from his tax collecting booth, his means of revenue. He walked away from that and followed Jesus. Jesus called them into a media, into an active, into a lifelong following of himself. It, it wasn't passive following. Jesus called them to something much more than just mouse click Christianity. Just mouse click following of Jesus. I mean, he really did. He wasn't mucking about. And my hope today is that the Holy Spirit, no, no, not my hope, my confidence today, is that the Holy Spirit is going to stir our faith to remind us of the startling demands and joy of being followers of Jesus who actually follow Jesus. Yeah. Because that's where we're going. I want to see one's eye across the balcony. I'm not quite tall enough. I want to get you in the balconies as well as on the ground floor. I can see more clearly. I, Jesus wants you to be followers who actually follow him. Come on. With an, an immediate, with an active, with a lifelong following of him. Yeah. Now that's what he's called. That's what he did call you. That's what you initially responded to. And that's what we're all hearing again this morning. We want to be followers who follow him. Because the truth of the matter is, Bermondsey doesn't need any more mouse click followers of Jesus. You know that, don't you? Bermondsey doesn't need any more of that. Hey, let's read on about Jesus. Matthew 13. This is how Jesus describes the joy of following him. So he does 
call people to follow him. But this is what the joy of it's like. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. This is familiar to many of us, but this, I want this to come alive again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. Do you remember those moments? Yeah. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. You know, there was great joy in following. Some of you watch the detectorist, you're all in on this. Are there any detectorists in the room? Not an actual detectorist, but what's that? Are there any mudlarks? People go down on the River Thames on the, on the foreshore looking for stuff. There was numbers out this morning, I had a quick peek. Who? There's none, really? Well, okay, can you try to imagine then, if there are, try to imagine walking into a field and stumbling upon a treasure that is more valuable than anything else you could work for. Try imagine this treasure, and it's just in this field, you found it, it's more valuable than anything you could ever work for, or anything you could ever find in this life. It was a treasure, you know, that is a unique treasure there is, that's never going to get beaten, and it's just there in a field. And more than that, you, you look around and you notice... No one else realises that this treasure is there. So what do you do? This is what we do in Reading. We cover it up. We're probably more devious than you are in Bermondsey. Well, we cover it up. And then we go and buy the fields. And so this man covers it up, quickly walks away, all the while pretending we haven't seen anything. Oh, it's just a normal field. Don't give anything away. And then he goes home and he begins to eBay everything. Everything in his house. He puts it on Gumtree. All the possessions that he has until he's got enough money to buy the field. And his friends come around and think, you're crazy. What are you doing? They ask him. And he said, I'm, I'm going to buy that field. I'm going to sell everything I've got till I can buy that field. And you answer with this really goofy smile. Because you don't want to say anything. But you know that everything you're selling is well worth it because you've seen that treasure. And you know they're thinking, you are so foolish. You're selling everything up now to buy a field because they've no idea of the joy within you. Because you've found something that is worth losing everything for. There's nothing in your home that compares, you know, you know, I'll sell it all because I've found a treasure in a field and I'm going to buy the field. I can't afford the treasure, but I could buy the field. And that gives me access to the treasure. When you follow Jesus, you have found someone that's worth selling everything up for. Yeah. It, it is worth leaving everything behind. When you, when you really know who Jesus is, when you've met him in his tenderness and his holiness and his compassion and his mercy and his kindness and his intimacy and the fact that he knows you and still loves you and clothes you in his righteousness, when you know that Jesus, then being a follower of Jesus who actually followed Jesus is no longer an act of sacrifice. It's just common sense. There's such a joy weighing up within you because you know that you have access to this great treasure. And this treasure is worth selling everything up for. And this treasure just gives you great joy. And so you let go of pursuits and possessions and, and pleasures and safety and lifestyle choices. Well done. Always good. It's great that people walk in the meetings, isn't it? Great news. 
Jesus, I want whoever that guy is, whether he's a regular or not, bless him. Fill him with your Holy Spirit. Because when you when you know the joy, when you know the joy of finding that treasure, all of the lifestyle choices that you have to make, they're not sacrificial as they are plain smart and just gives you great joy. The joy of following Jesus. But Jesus didn't just come to call people and to give them joy. He also asked them to consider the cost of following him. This is what Jesus said in Luke 14, 28 to 30. But don't begin following Jesus or pursuing God until you count the cost. Don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it. Otherwise, you might, complete the, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. Then you would say, then they would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. The building in Jesus' story is most likely a watchtower for a vineyard. And Jesus is saying this landowner needed to sit down and count the cost of the enterprise to avoid ridicule. You see, there is a cost to following Jesus. Jesus does not want followers who do not realise what they have let themselves in for. Counting the cost of following Jesus is vitally important. If you want to be a follower who actually follows Jesus, you've got to count the cost. The tower builder must sit down and, and count the cost. Only then can he expect success. Only then can he be confident of success. And the lesson is plain. Jesus does not want followers who rush into discipleship without thinking what is involved. Every follower of Jesus needs to be crystal clear about the price. Anyone who comes to Jesus must renounce all. I want to say that again. Anyone who comes to Jesus to follow him, you've got to renounce everything. All. Well, that's suddenly quite sobering, isn't it? We've got the joy of finding the treasure. But Jesus said, hey, you've got to count the cost. Count the cost. Let's read on. Luke 14, 31 to 33. Or, or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counsellors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own. Even in the heat of national indignation and pride, a wise king needs to weigh out the consequences of battling an enemy twice his strength. You see, there is a cost of following Jesus in the same way there's a cost of going to war. The king in the parable is being invaded. He must do something. Passivity is not an option. So this king, he's got to sit down and reckon 
Can he afford to ignore the demands of the stronger opposing king? If he is not able to win a battle against him, and it's unlikely he will, if this other king's got twice as many men, he will ask for terms of peace. And what's this got to do with following Jesus? Because sometimes you have to think clearly about this. Well, in the same way, if we oppose King Jesus, he's got more than twice as many men as us. We are not going to win if we oppose King Jesus. Anyone on planet Earth, historically and today, and who will live, if they oppose King Jesus, you will not win. We should wisely assume, then, that all we have, our kingdom, our treasure, our time, is now his as tribute. Because he's, a, he's, an, he's coming, he's stronger than us, and, and so we wisely say, do you know what, I'm going to give him tribute, I'm just going to sue for terms of, what does it need to have peace, and I'm going to give all that I have, all of my kingdom, all of my time, all of my treasure, to you as tribute. Jesus told this parable and summed it up by saying that we cannot be his disciple if we're hard-hearted. You can't follow me, he says. And that is very sobering. He's not discouraging people from following him. Rather, he's against half-baked, passive, little more than mouse-click following. Jesus is saying, that's not what I'm looking for. Jesus wants his followers to count the cost, and reckon all is lost, or all has been given over to him for his sake. That's the kind of followers Jesus wants. You count it, oh, it's all lost, or actually I'm going to give it all as tribute to him. Only then can you enter into full-blooded, full-fat, oh, we love full-fat, don't we? <laughs> Fully caffeinated, ah, oh, fully caffeinated coffee with four teaspoons of sugar type of following Jesus. I mean, that's what we want. Half baked, half fat, decaffeinated. No, we want to be fully flavoured followers of Jesus. Amen. 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 Luke 14, 34 to 35 tells us this. Jesus adds this little parable at the end of the cost of following him. To fill out our understanding about following Jesus. Jesus said this. Salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavour. How do you make it salty again? Flavour salt is good either for the soil. Nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear. Should listen and understand. Staying salty is important. Salt is good, regardless of being described as the white death if you're in your 50s, putting salt on your plate. Salt is good. In Jesus' time, it had been used as flavouring and as a preservative. Salt crystals can't actually lose their taste, but its effectiveness can be radically diluted by mixing it up with other impurities. In fact, if you mix up with so many other impurities, it is rendered unsalty. So it is then literally useless. It's not even fit to condition the soil or for the manure, manure part. Well, the message is really clear. Christ followers who have lost their saltiness, or they don't actually follow Christ anymore, they are useless to everyone. 
slightly uncomfortable if you think about it. If you are a Christ follower here this morning and you've lost your saltiness, you are useless to everyone. I mean, this Jesus that we're following, he is uncompromising on his call on our lives. So, what helps us stay salty? Well, we don't have time to look at this in detail, but in Matthew 6, Jesus spoke about the hidden ways of following him in prayer, in fasting, and in giving. And we can help ask the Holy Spirit to help us in that. In Reading now, we're in a season of trying to purchase a building. And it's a six million project and really hard and difficult. Lots of twists and turns. We're right in it now. And uh, so I remember the meeting. It was about four months ago. I said to my fellow elders, you know, guys, we've got to start double giving now. It was just before Christmas. Classic timing by me. Come on, I've heard from God. Let's go. So I said to my fellow elders and and their families, look, Let's give 20% of our gross income, 10% into the church, 10% into the vision fund. You know, we needed to raise half a million pounds just to do the deal for the deposit. And then we've got, you know, then start the two million pound refurbishment if we land this. So let's do it. And we had this long conversation as a team. So come, we're all in. Let's start double giving. Uh, About a month ago, uh, one of the other brothers, one of the elders, he said, I think we should now start double praying. Because it wasn't my idea, it's harder to adopt. (laughs) So we're now on double giving. I'm going to have two kids at university at the end of the year. That's going to be expensive. Love your son. God bless you. Great to have you there. I'm thinking, okay, okay, I'm double giving now, double praying. So now we've got two prayer meetings Monday night and in the morning. He then says, let's have a week of prayer and fasting. Uh, And so now we've committed as our elders every Monday, we're going to pray and fast together. Uh, we're doing that for some time now. We're going to do it again, calling the church to it. We had a week of prayer and fasting. Uh, so numbers of us did you know, long fasts last week. And I, I tell you, in all of this, so we're giving our money. We're praying more than we've ever done before. We're fasting more than we've ever done before. It's so hard. But I tell you what, there's salty Christians in Reading. When you start doing the hidden disciplines... Now, I know I'm talking about it now. I'm losing all my reward. I get all that. <laughs> I'm losing my reward to call you into saltiness. When I be, got married in 96, there was a move of the Holy Spirit. People were fasting for 40 days. It wasn't unusual. I remember I got married in 96. My wife went through our CD collection and smashed up anything that was sexually explicit. I mean, it's unbelievable now what you get on Spotify. But there was such a move of the holiness of God, and it was all hidden. And I, I feel like if you want to be a salty Christian, you, there's no shortcuts. You've got to pray. You do need to fast. And you've got to give. Now, whether that's your time or your money or your service, whatever it is, you, you can't get away from those hidden things. And no one will see it. Few of you will have opportunity to tell a congregation like this. Most of it will be hidden. But it will produce in you a saltiness. And when you've met Christ and you know the joy of finding that treasure, the joy of, well, life's no longer my own. Yes, I've messed it up, but I get a second charge in Christ. And I can never mess it up anymore because his blood is more than sufficient. And then you realise that there's a a demand on your life that makes total sense uh, in terms of the cost uh, and the, uh, the breadth of it. 
And when you're salty as a Christian, I was at 50th party last night in Ealing, and I talked to this dear woman uh, from a ukulele. Uh, no faith. I had this amazing conversation. The room was so noisy, I could hardly hear it. I'm getting that age. I'm leaning in like an eject. But I just think I'm listening to this woman just pouring out her soul. She's got no faith in God. And I felt so salty last night at this 50th party in Ealing. It was brilliant. And Jesus wants that for you. He's calling that for you. That's why I'm here this morning. It's not just about setting Chris apart. It's because the Holy Spirit is saying, come on. In, in Bermondsey, there's going to be followers of Jesus who actually follow me. Like men and women who are salty for the glory of God. Men and women who know the joy of Christ. And have yielded their lives. They consider it as tribute to a great king who is coming. This morning I wanted to remind us of things we already know, but most likely have gotten hazy as no longer shaping our lives as they once did. I wanted us to think about what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. I wanted to remind us that Andrew, Peter, James, John, Matthew all found something compelling and irresistible in that invitation to follow him just as we once did. Jesus is calling us into an active, lifelong following. Bermondsey doesn't need mouse-click followers of Jesus because he is someone worth losing everything for. He's worth letting go of possessions and pleasures and safety, just, just not holding on to them anymore. Our lifestyle choices, doesn't, and it won't feel like sacrificial as much as just plain, smart and appropriate because of the joy in us. But we'd be those who count the cost because it's important. It will be clear about the price of following. That anyone who follows Jesus must renounce all. That if we try to oppose King Jesus, we will not win. So we wisely assume that as followers of Jesus, all that we have, our kingdom, our time and our treasure, we now consider it just tribute for him. When Christ follows who have lost their saltiness, we know are useless to everyone. And we don't want to be useless. So we're going to have some prayer ministry now. And the Holy Spirit is going to move. And the band is, or the musician is going to come up and play prayer ministry appropriate music for followers of Jesus. Jesus. And he will figure that out because he is well able. Yes, don't go and ignore So this is how the prayer ministry is going to work. Now you're going to have to concentrate and this slide is going to stay up because this will get confusing and this may take some time. We want to pray for those of you who feel really so about being a follower who follows. When I talk about being you know, a mouse-click Christian, you know, somehow you feel you've just drifted into that. If you're really honest, maybe it's not your whole walk, but areas that you're just a mouse-click follower. And we're going to have prayer ministry. Paul will organise it. And when you come forward, I want you to confess. You're just doing nice and gentle. I don't want people to hear this. When you come forward from mouse dip, you do need to confess and repent. And it's not okay to be a mouse dip Christian. Just confess that. If you're on the prayer ministry, say, look, in Jesus' name, no forgiveness, no repentance. Receive forgiveness and power. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Just get to asking the Holy Spirit to be at work in them. And they confess. You know, we are always forgiven. Jesus' blood, we can be forgiven. I want to pray about the joy of following. Some of that I'm believing you need to rediscover the treasure in the field. 
to rediscover that treasure in the field such that you would happily sell everything with a smile. You've got people overseas, Alex and Sharon, I get updates from them, they're amazing. You've got Alison, you've got people overseas who've sold everything and gone. What were they They've gone to a Kurdistan, what were they thinking? <laughs> but it came out of you. It's come out of you. It's amazing. There's a joy in them that's propelled them to crazy places. It's a work of the Spirit. If you want to know that joy of following Jesus, to know that treasure again, we want to pray for you and ask the Holy Spirit to come. Maybe it's about the cost of following. You know that renouncing all, that sense of it's not yours anymore, offering everything up as tribute, even if you don't give it away, but actually it's available as tribute to the King, that is hard for you right now. And it's a work of the Spirit that you need in your life just to help you take your hands off that. It's what He does. We come. This is where I'm at. The cost of following you is scary. I can remember crying when I quit my job in IT, go and work for a church. You know how much I was going to earn. My plumber said, you've got to pay your bills. I thought, no, no. You're scared. I'm scared for my kids. I feel, God, is this going to work? I can remember crying. So scared. The cost. I laugh now. Ha ha! Look at me now. It's terrifying then. It's the work of the Spirit. He comes. He bears fruit. I want to pray for those about who are staying salty. Staying salty. Can I have the categories back up just to help the praying? Just the last slide, prayer ministry. You know you've lost your saltiness. And I don't know any other shortcut, well, there probably are, but I just find praying, fasting and giving just does an inner work in me. Starts showing up the idols in my life. You start freeing up time to pray and earnestly praying and fasting, emptying yourself, humbling yourself, letting your hunger tell you that you're dependent on the true bread of life. Giving your time, your money, sort stuff out in your heart. But it's a work of grace. I want to pray the Holy Spirit will help you pray fast and give. Whatever that means for you, whatever your next steps are, but you grow in that, that will do a work in your saltiness. And finally, I just want to say, there just might be one or two people here who want to pray for you if you've not yet agreed terms of your peace with God. You've not yet realised how powerful Jesus is and you've maybe only just realising that what you've got, your 10,000 isn't going to stand against his 20,000 plus. You really do need to yield to the stronger King, Jesus. He's gentle and kind and loving. You won't win against Him. You're not smart enough, holy enough, bright enough, strong enough, resilient enough. You won't win against Jesus. And you don't have to, because you just need to turn and trust in Him. You need to repent. You need to renounce all claims on your own life. You can bring no caveats, no deals. You unconditionally turn and put your trust in Him. You count the cost. You're going to yield everything, your life, your kingdom, your treasure. But you receive salvation. And you will know a joy that bubbles up within you. A life, a stream. And you will have a hope that's rooted on something far more firm and certain and sure than you. Yes, thank you. And you will know a work of the Spirit in your life. Yes. If you're not yet following Jesus, I urge you to agree terms of peace with the true King Jesus. And we want to pray for you. So that's what we're going to do. That's where we're going. I'm going to pray and then invite people forward. Paul, if you could organise the ministry team.
not sure what's going to happen then, but I know the Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I want to pray that everyone in this room will be followers of Jesus, who actually follow Jesus with joy, with just clear understanding of giving our lives over to Him. I want to pray that we would be salty women and men. And I pray for those who haven't yet made peace with you, that they would this morning. That at least one person would be saved this morning. So come Holy Spirit, do a great work now. Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' mighty name.